Welcome to episode 35 of Flying Podcast. By way of a follow-up to episode 33, I'm interviewing another UK pilot that went to the USA to do his flight training. This episode features Ollie Cooper, who chose another flight training school at Long Beach Airport, and that's Angel City Flyers. The first thing that I asked Ollie was when did he actually go to the States to do his PPL training? It was uh, four years ago now, so uh, yeah, it would have been, I think it was late 2006. Okay. Uh, Why exactly did you pick US for your training? It was really a combination of two things. I, I'd started started training in the UK and over over a few years really had started and stopped a number of times due to a combination of uh, weather uh, and money, which are, I'm sure lots of people experience. Uh, and, and the two, of course, to some extent uh, um, affect each other because you fall a bit behind because of the weather and then it costs you a lot of money just to get back to where you were yeah and so each time that happens obviously every time the weather sets you back and it costs you more money your, your costs just escalate and so really i'd started and stopped a few times as, I, as i'd run out of money and given up because the weather had got bad and I, I just you know made the decision i wanted to go out somewhere where the weather was good plus also it was the, there was the advantage that it is cheaper to train out there and i could just go out for a single period and just get my license okay and where did you pick in the end i picked um i, I decided to go to to uh, los angeles because uh, i have family that live there so i could stay with them which saved me on some accommodation costs plus i also got to see them and uh yeah i, I did a quite a lot of research um both myself and also by um reading on the forums uh two forums in particular the flyer magazine forum and another forum called p prune uh professional pilots rumor network i think it stands for yeah. uh which both have a lot of very useful information on on training in america and i ended up choosing a school at long beach airport called angel city flyers okay uh, do they uh, offer uh, jar ppl training uh no they don't i i think um they they may now do so. Uh, I, I saw on their website the other day, they certainly, for their commercial training, offer JAR ATPL licenses. Um, at the time, I did quite a lot of uh, research into whether I uh, needed uh, to, a JAR PPL or whether having a, an FAA, an American PPL, was sufficient when I came back here. And certainly, from a legal standpoint, um, a regulatory standpoint, um, you should be absolutely fine with an FAA PPL. And based on that, I went out there um, and that, that is what I got. But I'd have to say, um, having come back here with a with an American PPL, although legally you, you are in, perfectly entitled um, to fly a G-Reg, a UK-registered plane um, on an FAA PPL, and obviously you're entitled to fly an N-registered plane, an, an American-registered plane, which there are a lot over here for various different reasons. Um, in reality, when I came back and found, tried to hire from flying schools and looked at joining syndicates, I found a lot of resistance, well, a lot of ignorance as well about what you could and couldn't do and a lot of resistance to it. And so it was quite a hindrance. And actually, I'm in the process at the moment of converting my FAA PPL to a JAR PPL. Okay. Uh, prior to going over there, roughly how much of the, the UK syllabus had you completed? 
Um, quite a, a fair bit, to be honest. Um, I I probably I think I had about spread over quite a long period of time. I had probably had about thirty thirty five hours. Um, obviously, because it was spread over such a long period of time, uh, that I wasn't as far through as if I'd done thirty five hours all in one go. Um, but yes, I'd done a reasonable amount of flying in the UK first. So, I mean, and when I came back after having got my FAA PPL that certainly stood me in good stead I mean one thing I would say about flying America uh, is it's excellent I mean it's very well set up over there but it is quite different so I think even if you fly at a school where you're going to end up getting a JAR PPL um, you're going to need to be prepared to do what you should probably do some additional training with an instructor on coming back just to familiarize yourself with flying in the UK yeah uh, so when you arrive over there and you've got your, your 35 hours, do they sort of insist on you going through the entire syllabus or are they, are they quite amenable to you sort of starting halfway through the, uh, the FAA syllabus? Oh, that was, uh, that was certainly one of the criteria I had when I was looking at flying schools and, and speaking to them was how flexible they were willing to be. Um, and I did, and a couple of the... One of the schools in Florida I spoke to, and a couple of the schools in Los Angeles I spoke to, which were sort of bigger operations to, uh, where they are, I think you know they really sort of churn out students, were very resistant to anything other than basically taking you from start to finish, and they and they virtually insisted that that's what they would want to do. Um, which I obviously completely ruled out immediately because that was going to cost me so much money to do unnecessary training. Yeah. Um, and given that your hours, any hours you've accumulated in the UK count in, 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 in America, it, it was completely unnecessary, whereas Angel City Flyers were very willing to see where I was at and then just take it from there and, and do training completely on an ad hoc basis. You know, there are certain th- things that are different, um, so make sure I fulfil all the criteria, and then just when I was when they they felt I was ready and I felt I was ready, then take the uh, the test. Okay, you say you did a lot of research, but what were the sort of questions you were asking yourself before you picked Angel City Flyers? I presume there was quality of aircraft is is one thing which is often mentioned uh, when when people are talking about uh, flight training schools in America. Certainly, quality of aircraft and. Um, and there is a huge variation there. I mean, you can. There, uh, there's another um, another school just based just next to Angel City Flyers, which we can talk about in a minute. Um, but uh, they, I mean, you know, you have aircraft, everything from that end of the scale all the way through to you know, you can now. I think in Santa Monica in, L- in LA, you can actually train in a brand new Cirrus SR22 and do your whole PPL in that. So there's all ends of the scales. I mean, Angel City Flyers had fantastic aircraft they had uh, diamond star uh, da40s which with uh, glass cockpits um so yeah very very new uh, lovely planes but not very quite nice. as um but but not nearly as expensive to to run as something like a cirrus so still sensible price wise but uh, other criteria that i uh, i mean for me was the flexibility because i didn't want to just i didn't want to just go there and be put through the entire you know, there's some standard training course because I had previous experience, and I think it's not a good sign anyway. To be honest, uh, I mean, it, what that really says to you is that they're probably churning out quite a lot of students and you know, pilots. I mean, they've got, they've got have a lot of students, and they have a very set procedure. 
Um, and I wasn't interested in going to some huge school where I was one of one of thirty students that would that would you know with a turnover every three weeks of another thirty coming in or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, so I think yeah, the aeroplanes, you know, the, the size of the school, and the fact that they were willing to be flexible. Um, was availability okay on the, on their aircraft? Availability. I mean, at Angel City Flyers, there was never any availability problems. I mean, they, that was always that was always something. Uh, you know, the day, you know, the, the each day, I would talk over with my instructor what we're going to do the next day, and that twenty four hours just was sufficient. That we always then had the availability for the next day to book the plane for the next day, and that was always absolutely fine. Uh, whereas, equally well, I've heard stories of of other flying schools uh, where uh, some of the big ones where people have been hanging around for three or four days sometimes without getting onto uh, get, getting uh, into the sky because of the availability. So, yeah, and availability was another big one. And I think also another really important one that was particularly important with me because I'd had a lot of stop and starting before and found it, found it to be an issue was having the same instructor throughout. That was something... Um, you know, I, I something I found when I was stopping starting a bit and being shunted around between instructors because of that was that that can set you back almost as much as as a as a couple of weeks break because the instructor doesn't know where you're at, you're not familiar with the instructor, and it takes even if it even if it only takes half an hour for the instructor to get get you know to get a get a feel before you get back on track. Yeah, you know, that's half you know that half an hour is inexpensive, and if you change instructors a few times. Um, you know that that all adds up, and yeah. I, I think um, it was definitely important to me. And I think and I think it should be a question that you should ask um, as to whether you can have the same instructor throughout. And you did have the same instructor at uh, ACF. Yes, the the very first flight I had was with the the CFI, the chief flying instructor, just for him to uh, assess me, and um, and then after that. I, I was allocated an, uh, an instructor, and yes, I had him throughout, and he, he was great. Uh, and how much were you paying per hour there? Uh, it was a while ago now, but I seem to remember it was about one hundred and sixty-five or one hundred and seventy dollars an hour. So it was—I mean, it was about forty dollars an hour, forty-five dollars an hour more from the schools I looked at that had old PA-28s or um, 172s, but they were brand brand new aircraft. They were fast, they were glass cockpit, um, and they were new. So, yeah, uh, I, I, was, I was prepared to pay some, something of a premium, although, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend, inle- unless somebody's thinking of going and buying a Cirrus straight afterwards, for instance, doing their whole PPL in a Cirrus, because that's silly money. Okay, and you were just paying by the hour as you went? Uh, no, they were very relaxed about it, to be honest. And uh, the, they billed me retrospectively, sort of, I don't know, when I'd built up about nine or ten hours, they'd just ask me to settle up after the event. And we just went through like that, which made it very relaxed for me. Um, and I think one thing that is certain maybe i mean maybe with some of the really big schools it's not an issue but general but generally one thing you should be very careful about is paying in advance for some or all of your course because yeah, yeah. i do know that um there's a one of the one of the schools i did look at which was in san diego which does do jar ppls and is fa- and, and was big um 
they they ran into quite a lot of uh, financial difficulties and people that had paid a lot of money up front struggled to get even even some of their money back um and you know it's one of those things flying clubs operate on very tight margins and i think are very um susceptible to uh, the economic climate and uh, people are you know people are regularly paying them four or five thousand dollars in advance and it's it's a risky thing to do and so i think if a flying club is uh, i think it, it definitely makes sense not to do that if you can possibly avoid it okay good uh in terms of visas can you remember uh, what the procedure was in those days yes i can't i mean i can't remember the fine detail but i can what i would <laughs> what i would certainly say is it's an awful lot of work and if and it, it, i have to confess that if i realized how much work it was i certainly would have thought twice about it um and it's also not entire it's never entirely clear um how much work it is for instance for your you have to have an interview uh, at the US embassy for your um to get your M1 so student visa basically it's just an it's the same visa that any any student going to America would need and that's done in um, London and yes all the paperwork everything that you fill out says you know you, you will get an interview at the embassy you get you then get paperwork back saying you have an appointment at for instance you know, 11 in the morning on whatever date please turn up half an hour in advance so i merrily went turned up half an hour in advance thinking i was going to be sort of ushered into an office to be told to stand in a queue of a few hundred people all of whom had an interview 11 o'clock and an interview means nothing of the sort an interview just means turn up at this day at the u.s embassy and queue for yeah many hours uh for essentially what was a rubber stamping exercise i i turned up queued outside the embassy for a few hours then queued inside the embassy for a few hours to eventually speak to somebody for a couple of minutes um who really just sort of said well why are you going coming to america um to fly and so sort i of said well because i want to train in america because it's cheaper um and they said okay and then stamped it and that was pretty much it <laughs> um but there's a lot of other paperwork associated with it as well um and you need a and you need to be fingerprinted which i think there are a couple of places in the uk you can now do it but when i when I, when i was doing it you had to be i had to wait and get fingerprinted um when i when i got there that's that's, that's part of the tsa check um and then your the school or or some or the school or um has to be um accredited i think it's to do with the 901 a form that needs filling out um and in the case of angel city flyers they didn't actually have accreditation themselves but they had an arrangement with um long beach flying club um, which is another flying school there and they are basically operated under their umbrella for the purposes of um foreign students but you need to make sure that they either have an arrangement like that or they themselves are registered because um yes your basically your school needs to fill out a form with your details and then they get something back which they forward to you um, and that that needs to happen so you you are reliant on the school doing stuff before you can then carry on with all of your paperwork once you actually get to america do you need to go to the local uh i don't know what it is the uh is there a tsa office you need to uh, turn up at to get some sort of uh sign if you if you haven't done if you haven't had it done in the uk i think you can i think it's um 
it's a flight training organization in Gatwick, I think, where you can have it done. But if you haven't had it done in the UK, then yes, what I had to do was turn, go up, go to the nearest TSA um, office, which was actually at Long Beach, and um, and yes, just just um, do the final bit, which was for the fingerprinting, essentially. What uh, airport were you training at with ACF? So yeah, that that was a, a Long Beach, which is which is is in is in Los Angeles. It's one of the one of the. It's a fairly major airport in Los Angeles. Right. So that's the uh, the same airport. A previous podcast interview he mentioned, which was uh, he he trained at UKFT. So that's on the same airfield. Yeah, that's right. In fact, they are just next door to Angel City Flyers. Um, they uh, they were one of the schools that I um, originally considered before. Um, further research um, turned turned up some uh, yes, yeah, some certainly some some very discouraging information about them, um, which was very much borne out when I went out there. I think um, I think having I, I actually listened to uh, your previous podcast, and uh, I think the time when your uh, the person you're interviewing went out there, or it was under different ownership, and apparently it was a pretty good flying school then. But uh, since then, it's been taken over, and yeah, um, that was ten years ago, I think. Yeah, I've heard some pretty. Yeah, if certainly if you look on the forums, there are some ho- real horror stories about uh, <laughs> about uh, UKFT, um, a Rainbow a- Rainbow Air or Rainbow Aviation. They're sort of the, sort of the same company. It's all a bit vague. Um, so the, the answer is uh, yeah, do your some, research. Yeah, there are some real horror stories, and when I went out there, certainly, uh, I mean, I'm very, very glad I, I didn't have anything to do with them. Okay, so uh, as I say, do your research before you go. Yes, I was very, I, I really was, uh, UKFT has a website, and it, you know, it all sounded very good, and um, it was only when I, I looked on uh, both the Flyer Forum and on Prune that, um, yes, I... I saw a lot of posts on there warning people off, um, including um, one from an instructor that used to work at UKFT. Um, and yes, I'm very, very glad I took that advice. <laughs> okay, I think there were no landing fees to consider there, so you're just paying your, your hourly rate, and that's it, really. Yeah, I mean, although it's a fairly major airport, um, in almost with the exception of a. a very few air, air, airfields in the states. Um, nowhere charges any landing fees. I mean, one is one of the one of the many great things about flying in, in America is um, most of the airports, or almost all of the airports, are municipal airports, so owned by the taxpayer, and um, there are no landing fees. Parking fees are minimal. They'll even lend you. They've normally got a loan car that they'll just lend you for free to drive into town. I mean, it's amazingly well set up. Uh, most of the most of the airfields have pilot-controlled lighting, so if you're flying at night and you just turn up there, even though there's not anybody at the airfield, you just uh, click the transmit button on the radio five times on the airfield frequency, and all the lights come on. That is so impressive, isn't it? When you do that, what a feeling of power you get there. <laughs> it's brilliant. It's brilliant. You, do, does that happen so in the UK at all? I've never come across it, but I think everyone should. No, have it. it's not <laughs> legal in the UK for licensed right? airfields. Is that right? Apparently, apparently, whichever, whichever, whichever lord it is that w- uh, lives at Badminton Estate, apparently he has it on his own grass strip. But that's about, apparently that's one of the few places in the UK where they have it. I'd have it if I had my own grass strip. Oh, it's great. It's so wonderful. You're flying along searching for the airfield and then you just uh, click the transmit button and suddenly it appears. 
I, I did that years ago. I was flying back to uh, to Clearwater in Florida, and it was it was getting dusky. And I was looking, scanning around, looking for the airfield. And I remember the guy saying, click it five times. And I clicked it and it was like Blackpool Illuminations. <laughs> so, oh, yes. No, it's, br- it's a brilliant thing. I mean, flying in the States in general is just, is, it's, you may or may not be a fan of America, but uh, for general aviation, it's, they're, they're just so well set up. And the fuel is obviously much cheaper as well. It, it, flying out there is a whole different experience, certainly. Everything's very positive out there, isn't it? Where it's it's designed to enable you to fly, whereas here I always feel it's an, it's sort of set up to try and prevent you from flying if at all possible. Yeah, and I mean that's even reflected in their attitude to training as well, as far as the exams and the syllabus goes. I mean it's fair; it's much more. I mean over here, there's you know there's this sort of perception which I think is completely incorrect that somehow an FAA PPL is easier. Um, than the JAR PPL and I, I just don't think that's true at all I think they're just different I mean the, the the syllabus in America is much more practically oriented there's yes there's only one ground exam which is you know which is not that challenging although it covers although this, what it covers is much larger because it's covering everything but then there's a pretty intense oral exam which you don't have in the UK. Yeah. And, the, and the idea behind that is that really they can grill you and ask you anything and pick up on anything that you appear to be weak on and pick away at that and you know discover where holes in your knowledge lie. And then as far as flying the plane goes as well, I mean, over here for the JAR PPL, fairly minimal training around some of the instruments in the plane, certainly you know, the radio nav instruments, whereas in the States... Whatever plane you take your test in, you have to be able to demonstrate you can use all of the equipment in that plane, which is a very sensible thing to have to do. So, yeah, it's just it's just different. But, um, yeah, again, it's a very sort of positive attitude to, to, to doing things. They don't teach you anything that's unnecessary. Yeah. And they focus very much on making sure you're good at doing what's necessary. Very pragmatic approach, eh? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So in terms of the ground school then, had you done your exams here? <laughs> yes, I had. No, twice, in fact. I'd done them and then they'd lapsed and then I did them again. So you should know the stuff. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, yes. but you still have to do, the, obviously you have to do the, the ground school exam out there. Yes, you're not excused. Yeah, you're not excused any, any ground exams out, out there if you, if you haven't got it, you know, unless you have a JAR PPL already, in which case you, you can get an FAA PPL just on the back of that. But otherwise, you, you're, not, yeah, you're not excused any ground exams. But there is, as I said, just the, basically one ground exam and one, and then an oral exam. Okay. Uh, and when you come back to the UK, are there any parts of the... Uh the syllabus here any exams that you have to do normally let's say you hadn't done any ground school and you've got your your faa ppl when you come back to the uk and you want to convert what what exams would you have to take if you have to convert it depends on whether you have um less than 100 hours total time or more than 100 hours right if you have less than 100 hours you have to do all of the ground exams and the rt uh, uh the radio uh, practical. Um, if you have more than 100 hours, you just have to do air law and human performance and then the RT. So you're excused six of the ground exams, okay. I think, five okay. or six. Uh, with the FAPPL, there is a, a night element, isn't there? 
Yeah, that's right. You have to do five five hours of night flying, and so, then you are you, you basically they don't have a concept of a night rating as such. You your PPL includes being able to fly at night. And if you stay on an NREG aircraft here, you still retain the night privilege. Yes, that's right. I mean, if you fly an N-registered aircraft over here, then any privileges you have on you know with the FAA, whether that's um, flying at night or also um, you know, if you have an, an an FAA instrument rating, then you can you you can use those privileges in an N-registered aircraft. But if you're in a G-registered aircraft, you only have basic day VFR privileges. Okay. Uh, once you have done your exam over there, your flight test. You are issued with a license immediately. Yes, so you, you could go um, flying there and then. You're you're, li- you're issued with a, a paper license immediately, and then your your sort of credit card style license comes through. Uh, the, the, the FAA are quite happy to deal with people. Quite unusually, I guess, for America, really, they're quite un- happy to deal with people living in other countries. So you can have your registered address as a, as a UK address. And it just yeah it just arrives in the UK and then if you ever need to change anything, wonderfully completely unlike the CAA you know because again I think that you know they take the attitude that it's all paid for by the taxpayer so charges are, are minimal for doing anything I think if you change your address they charge you a dollar or two dollars to issue a new a new license yeah and that's another thing that's worth mentioning as well is that again um, charts. And all of the FAA produce a lot of uh, books. All of that stuff is very, very cheap because it's all basically produced at cost. Because again, paid for by the taxpayer. Yes, I remember that the charts were very cheap, and they're not tend not to be laminated like ours. Are they? But yeah, that's right. They're not laminated. Uh, they sort of have these. They although you can get these quite good uh, sort of felt tip pens that have a that are basically like highlighters. But then you switch the pen around, and on the other end of the pen is it, it just is a sort of a, a transparent felt tip pen. Then the chemical on that, whatever it is, just makes the highlight disappear. How cool! So those are quite good. So you don't end up. Uh, using a, a rubber and rubbing out huge parts of your chart. Yeah. Uh, once you'd passed, did you sort of uh, take the opportunity to go flying over there, there and then, or? Uh, come I didn't. To- I ran. I I didn't have enough time to do that, and I have to say that's one thing I would definitely recommend. That's a mis- I think that was a mistake on my part, and it's something I definitely recommend. Is was well, two things. First of all, leave yourself a buffer because. Yes, the weather in America is well in certain parts of the states, but in, in LA and in Florida, um, generally is very very good. But you can still get hit by a few days of bad weather, and if you leave yourself a very tight time schedule, you know there'd be nothing worse than either having to change your flights, or if you can't change your flights because of work or whatever, coming back without your license. Um, so, and and it's and it's also if you have a very tight deadline that increases the pressure on you a lot. I mean, I I did have a pretty tight ske- schedule, and you know we had a bit of bad weather, and um, only only three days, but three days was enough that suddenly really began to feel that pressure, and uh, you know that does that's not conducive to 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 learning. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think definitely leave yourself a buffer, and then definitely also. Um, leave yourself enough time to to yeah to use your license to just, even yeah. if it's just for two or three days to be able to take a plane and go flying um, just to cement that experience because that's something I didn't do and you know then you come back to the UK things aren't quite so familiar and you have never flown since you've qualified you've never yeah. flown solo and it's 
you know, it begins to become a, a barrier in itself. So I, I think, yeah, just just getting a few hours under your belt while you're still out there um, after you've qualified it is definitely something I'd recommend people try to do. Okay. Uh, and since you came back to the UK, did I detect that your experience of flying on a on an FAA license have been less than perfect? Yes, I mean, as I, I mean, I did, I did a, I did a fair bit of looking into it before I went, and I did more looking into it when I came back. And um, you know, you can find people that are knowledgeable about these sorts of things, and you and and those that aren't. I think most most flying schools and syndicates will you know will will will, will have will, will either know or are willing to acknowledge that you are probably able to fly within the UK, a, G, a G-registered aircraft within the UK on an, on an FAA licence. Um, although some of them aren't that willing to rent one to you if you've got an FAA licence. But although legally you should be able to take one uh, abroad as well, um, but getting anybody to acknowledge that was, was virtually impossible. And obviously you know, one of the pleasures of being able to to fly is, is being able to take a plane abroad so yep. I, I found that i found that very frustrating and in the end i decided that uh, i could spend all my time fighting fighting these people or i could just um you know get on with flying and uh get my jar ppl which you are doing now which is which is what i'm yeah which is what i'm doing now i mean I'm, there's not really that that much involved for me i have over 100 hours so it really is just a matter of a couple of ground exams and um uh, familiarizing myself with anything's different for the flying test um that I, that I you know might not know about because it's different to the faa flying test okay uh, have you been back over to the u.s to fly Yes, yeah, so I went back um, a couple, uh, about a year and a half ago. I uh, went back to um, a friend of mine out there is part of a syndicate on on the PA twenty eight. Um, back out yeah. in, in LA? Uh, no, that's back. That's in Atlanta, actually. Oh, nice. I got very unlucky with the weather, so I didn't get as much flying as I'd like. But it was incredibly cheap. His, his, he pays, I think, it's thirty eight dollars an hour uh, on his plane. <laughs> it's crazy, isn't it? Wet, which is just unbelievable. Dear, and, dear. You know, it's just so cheap. That's what it should be, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, it's just, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, it's cheap. It's, I think, I think we worked out that, it was, um, that it's cheaper to. It's, his plane is cheaper to fly out there, distance covering for covering distance. It's cheaper to fly his plane out there than it is to drive a, an average car over here. Mm. Perfect. Um, so yeah, I went back out there to do that, and also to do my um, biannual flight review, my two yearly review that you have to do for the FAA um, to keep my license valid. Um, and that's coming up again soon, so I will... Um, can you I'll do your uh, FAA biennial over here? Yes, you can. There's a few There's a few places you can do it. Um, well, there's a few instructors around, plus also a couple of schools. I think there's a... I can't remember exactly where they are. I think they're Essex Way. There's a school that does quite a lot of FAA stuff over here. So, yes, it's certainly possible to do over here. And there's also quite a few um, AMEs, uh, you know, doctors that... Um, are qualified to do FAA as well as um, JAR medicals. Did you have a, a JAR class two before you went? No, I mean years ago when I was doing doing my flying the first time around, I had a, a CAA class three, I think it was. Um, but no, I didn't. I didn't, and I uh, certainly, if somebody was flying, you know, if somebody was considering going out there and um, 
had never had a flying medical before and was maybe not in, entirely sure about their health, I would definitely recommend getting their FAA medical done here uh, in advance before they spent all that money going out there in case they did get turned down. Yeah, sure. um, and as I said, there, there, there are quite a few doctors over here that do it. Um, the FAA has, uh, on their website, has a list of all foreign, uh, foreign doctors that are registered to do them and you can search within the UK. Um, so it's not, yeah, it's not something that if you're unsure about, you should leave to chance and wait till you get there. I would definitely recommend doing that in advance. When you came back to the UK, having got your uh, your license over there, what were the sort of the main differences? I mean, one thing that I found was the uh, radio telephony was, albeit supposedly the same, was entirely different. Very different, yes. I mean, but obviously based on the same things, and unless you get somebody who over here who's a you know, who's just determined to be bloody-minded about the whole thing, you know, you would hope that uh, it's rare that they don't know what you mean, but, I mean, that is the main difference, is that they are... Things are much more structured over here and much stricter um, in the States, you know. I mean, it's still... You know, there, there's still you know, lots of lots of rules and guidelines that um, to follow, but it's much more informal... Um, as a result of that sometimes it does mean that they can rattle off things at high speed and use quite a lot of um, terminology that if you're not local to that airfield you might not um, recognise um, so in some ways actually if you're coming from the UK to the US sometimes you can struggle the other way around yep. but generally I would say coming back to the UK yeah, it's much more formal you do get people that are real sticklers for it, and if you don't adhere exactly to the way it's saying exactly the way it should be said, you know, you get people picking you up on it, and that's just not something that would ever happen in the states. It's 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 it's, it's very different. But there are differences in airspace rules as well. Yes, and uh, patterns and circuits. Quite, yes, quite and, different. Uh, the concept of an overhead join doesn't really <laughs> exist in America at all. No. Um, the jury's out on that one as to whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. I think generally, um, yeah, that, generally, although the idea of an overhead join, my personal feeling is although an overhead join is nice in theory because it allows you to do things in, uh, in a standard way arriving at unfamiliar air, airfields, it does mean you also have aircraft arriving from all, direct, all sorts of directions over, over one point uh, at an airfield, and that can make things maybe a little risky whereas the, the american way of doing things is generally joining uh, as long as they have the, the standard way of joining in the states is joining at 45 degrees yeah. uh, on the downwind leg which affords you a good view of the entire circuit as you're joining and they have seat taps over there don't they yes and, and of, um lot. yeah they also have flight following over there which is great isn't, um, isn't that a good concept yeah wonderful you just ring one phone number don't you and they give you the weather no tems have a chat with you about your flight <laughs> yes and then uh, as soon as you launch off you uh, you notify them and then you can just get passed from radar service to radar service with the same transponder code no exactly it's a uh, yeah i mean it's the way it should be done and it's um yeah it's wonderful did they struggle with your accent i know when, when i was in in florida very often it was like speaking a different language <laughs> yeah i so funnily enough they didn't i didn't find it so much of a problem on the radio um but maybe because you're only you have a very limited vocabulary compared to when you're speaking normally but yeah, yeah certainly the rest of the time there's there's 
having ended up you know having the saying the same thing many times before they understood what i was on about so what, what's the future hold for you ollie well i as i said i mean i'm currently um just just getting my jar ppl now and then really i i haven't quite made up my mind whether i'm going to i, I mean something was definitely um even just in the process of, of trying to get a few hours training under my belt before I take my flight test for the jar PPL, it's yet again sort of hammered home just how how much the weather affects the air flying over here. So I think um, one way or another um, would either look at getting the IMC rating over here um, and quickly because uh, if I, I think you know there's a possibility from the sounds of things that if you don't if you don't have it soon you may we may lose the opportunity of getting it yeah. um, or going out to the states and doing the FAA instrument rating and as I understand it um, you can apply if you have a jar license but you have an FAA instrument rating off the back of that you can apply to get an IMC rating anyway. Okay, no. um, it's just a paperwork exercise. Okay. Um, obviously, that you know that allows you only allows you a, a, a fairly restricted set of privileges compared to a full FAA instrument rating. But it does mean if you're in an unregistered aircraft, you can fly with an instrument rating, and if you're in a G registered aircraft in the UK, you can fly with an IMC rating. Right. So I'll probably I think do one of those two things to try and uh, enable me to fly more. Okay. Where do you fly out of currently? Although my nearest airfield's Kemble, I'm currently flying out of Gloucester just because I, I find it. Um, they, I mean, it's just a much bigger operation there, yeah, and they're much more set up for uh, general aviation. Is it solely GA at Gloucester? Uh, there's one commercial operator. I think they operate flights to the Channel Islands and the Isle of Man. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, very, very much mainly. Well, GA and GA and. Um, light commercial stuff i guess sounds ideal but yeah it's 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 a it's a it's a great place okay well that's great thank you very much ollie oh it's a pleasure i i hope uh, hope it helps people that are um thinking of flying over there i'm sure it will thank you ollie cooper there Yes, definitely a big thank you to Ollie, especially as it took us uh, two goes to record that interview due to my struggles with Skype quality. And by the by, thanks to Steve Fisher of uh, Playing Crazy Down Under podcast for his advice on upgrading the sound recording equipment. Hopefully the quality is getting better, although still subject to the vagaries of the internet. Anyway, much appreciated, Steve. I may get another listener to record his experiences of flight training in the US, and hopefully that will feature a training establishment in Florida for a change. We'll just have to wait and see about that one, but uh, watch this space. Please keep sending me uh, feedback emails. I do enjoy hearing from listeners, so uh, keep the emails coming. And please remember to support the podcast uh, in a small financial way by buying anything you need, such as aviation books, DVDs, or indeed anything via the links on the Flying Podcast website. That's flyingpodcast.co.uk. It all helps to offset the escalating cost of producing the podcast. Well, that's it for episode 35. If you have any comments, as I mentioned, suggestions for future episodes, or if you'd like to take part, you can email me on steve at flyingpodcast.co.uk. Thank you for listening, and I'll speak to you again soon.